Um, <clears throat> we are in Matthew chapter 14. We're covering verses 22 through 36. And the title of this morning's message is From Amazement to Worship. From Amazement to Worship. And please forgive me, um, my, my hearing, it it's like goes in and out, <laughs> you know, when you've been sick, congested. And so if I start hacking, I might have to get drinks now and then. All right, so let's all stand to our feet. We're going to read. Just think for a moment. Um, again, last night as I was getting a picture, as uh, Pastor David Zamora was on, face, on Instagram Live, every once in a while he'd, he'd kind of um, pan the camera up a little bit and you'd see the beautiful colors of the sky over the Sea of Galilee. It was so serene. I mean, the waters were just coming up on the shore, and the water was super clear. And uh, just the serenity of, of that, it was just, uh, I, I can't wait to go. I can't wait to go. Um, but that is where this is taking place, just north of where they are right now. Just north, this is where this scene takes place. So let's start reading Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain, uh, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night... He came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, I pray, Lord, as, uh, as Lord, we study these verses here before us. And what a beautiful picture of your divine love, perfect love for your people. Lord, even though it was you who sent the disciples onto the water and into the storm, your eyes never left them. I pray that we would be reminded that no matter what we're going through in life, that your eyes never leave us, that you are there, never turning your back on us. And Lord, that even in the storms, Father, that we endure, that there is something to learn, something to glean from, a way in which we could be refined, strengthened, and built, conformed, into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to your glory. 
I pray that you would do just a beautiful work this morning in our hearts, that we would see what you would have us to see, and Lord, surrender to you those things that are not of you, and take on ourselves that which is of you, again, to bring you glory. And so, Father, we commit this morning into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. May we not for a second believe that this passage really has to do anything about Peter walking on water. Because really, it's quite clear that it's about a faith that is tested by God, approving, if you will, of the trust the disciples either possessed or they lacked. This event and everything surrounding it would reveal the divine authority and deity of Jesus Christ to his disciples and to us today. That's what really the bigger picture is. This is something that I pray that we would come to understand personally this morning. So we have this element before us. It's called a storm, this thing that happened, this event that took place in this time. What do you think about when you're going through difficult times, these quote-unquote storms of life? Are your thoughts focused on the storm or on Jesus Christ? Are you filled with doubts and have little faith, or is your hope secure in God? What what do you think God wants you to focus on? What do you think He wants you to believe and trust and even prove by your response to life issues? What does it think about those things? Because I know the answer, I know you know the answer. And so those are the things that we need to think about and be conscientious about as we do enter into those situations, those events in our own lives. The Lord is with us in these storms. That's something that we need to always remember. Sometimes they are, these storms, they're our own doing. We pull ourselves into these storms, but sometimes we're sent into these storms, But either way, Jesus has amazing and perfect love for you and I. It's expressed through his divine authority, his protection, his knowledge, his presence, and his power. You see, there's a purpose for each and every storm that we go through. To take our faith from acknowledgement. Okay, I acknowledge that this is a storm to perhaps uh, obedience and devotion. It's good when we're in that place, when we've come to a place to where we surrender that those those times, those issues, those difficulties, those trials, those tribulations, we've we've acknowledged them and then, okay, we're obedient to you, Lord. We're devoted to you. We're committed to you. But then also getting to that place to where, have you ever gone through certain trials and you're brought to a place of just, you're just in amazement. You're amazed. This is, this is amazing, Lord. And you attribute that to the Lord. Well, he wants to take us beyond just this outward expression 
of maybe emotional amazement to a place of worship. To worship the Lord is to express His worth in and through your life by loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might, as it says in Deuteronomy 6.4. But this is all... We're all getting ahead of ourselves here. I'm getting ahead of myself, as that is really the conclusion to this whole passage that we're studying. So let's break it down and uh, let it speak for itself, learning what an amazing God we have and what an amazing love He has for us in every instant of our lives. From amazement to worship, let's first take a look at Jesus' divine authority, This is covered in the first couple verses that we read. Verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus had amazed the masses, didn't he? I mean, he had just uh, fed, it says, 5,000 men, but count women and children, And it's believed that upwards of perhaps even 25,000 were fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish, right? If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what will. So these people were absolutely amazed. So were his disciples. They, They had to have been amazed also. In fact, they saw it firsthand being closer to the whole situation than any of the masses. They were told to sit down on this grassy hill in groups of 50, of hundreds. They were there and they would receive the food. But the disciples, oh, they were there with Jesus. They were close to him. So they more closely had to have been just absolutely amazed Remember that Jesus had initially desired some rest for himself and for his disciples, but we know that that didn't happen. The day was spent, he taught, he fed the people, and now it's time to go. But all of a sudden, we see here in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. All of a sudden, Jesus Um, instead of having everyone sit down and be calm and have communion and fellowship, he was in a rush. He was in a rush. It was time to go. Well, we know the answer is given to us in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So we have the answer in Scripture. That's why. He perceived what was going on, and he got up. He said, it's time to go. You guys go get get in the boat. He made them get into the boat and go to the other side. From the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, northeastern section across to a section of the, the shoreline there between Capernaum and Magdala. He sent them off. Remember at this time that they were under Roman rule, They despised the Romans, and Jesus perceived that they were looking to him to deliver them from this bondage that they were experiencing as a people. But what they didn't understand quite yet is that Jesus was certainly there to deliver them. 
but not from political bondage, not from being ruled by the Roman rulers of the time, but it was from the bondage and condemnation of sin and the sting of death and eternal damnation. That, that is the primary, preeminent, most important thing that mankind could ever be delivered from. So we see Jesus' authority in two ways here. Three, if you count the elements, him being able to walk on the water and, of course, calming the sea and the storm before him. But we see a couple here, and this is with his disciples, first of all. In verse 22, again, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So it's strongly implied here that Jesus' disciples resisted the command, the, the directive that Jesus gave them to get into the boat and go to the, to the other side before me. And by the way, it wasn't a long trip across the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't that far. Most translations say that Jesus made the disciples, which we read here, and also compelled, constrained in the King James Version, while the NLT says Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Have you ever heard God's insisting voice at any one given point? Get into the boat, get to the other side. I don't want to do that. Get into the boat and go to the other side. Oh, you know, it's late. Can I just stay here? Get into the boat and get to the other side. You know, it's like we see in different ways, don't we? It's like we want to do one thing and it's just inconvenient, it's not the time, it's getting late, I'm tired, I'm even hungry again, right? <laughs> Whatever it is. And we hear God's insisting voice, just do what I'm telling you to do. So they resisted. They were much like you and me. They resisted. But Jesus insisted, and he made them, he compelled them to get into that boat and go to the other side. The thing with the disciples is that at, at one point, they simply surrendered. They obediently followed Jesus' command to get into the boat and cross the Sea of Galilee. They did so. Uh, there's a lot of speculation as to why they resisted. We don't know, but it could have been for many reasons. Maybe it was at that point, I mean, here was Jesus. He's their rabbi. He's their master. He's their Lord, right? They, they're, they're developing this very intimate relationship with him. They don't want him to cross, or for them to cross and him stay behind. They wanted to stay together. It could have been for that reason. It could have been that it's just, it's getting dark. We're tired. Could have been that they saw the rough conditions of the sea and didn't want to enter the boat in those conditions. You ever see storms before you and you're like, I don't want to go that way. <laughs> Thanks, but no thanks. They resisted, but ultimately they submitted to Jesus' authority. Secondly, we see Jesus' authority with the people. We know in verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowd, so he dismissed the crowds. Um, we know from John's account, again, that they were thinking about coming and taking him by force and making him king. But they couldn't do anything against God's will. With regards to Jesus himself, and there is no indication really that they resisted Jesus when he dismissed them. Even though they were thinking this, they desired this, 
we don't see any indication that they themselves um, really went against Jesus and said, no, we're going to make you king right now. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, humanly speaking, uh, 15 to 25,000 people could easily overwhelm one person, right? No, you're coming with us. You're going to be our king. But what we need to understand is that ultimately, the, the Father, who's more powerful? Than, I mean, is a million people, two million, ten million, a billion people more, uh, you know, stronger than, than the Lord? No. No. Not at all, right? The people desired to make Jesus their king, but ultimately we see here that they submitted to the lordship, the authority of Jesus Christ. In fact, when Jesus had been arrested and was before Pilate, and Pilate was asking him all of these questions, and he was just standing there silent. He wasn't answering any of the questions. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? You know, he was the, the ruling authority there. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. We see that in John 19, 10, and 11. Pilate didn't have any authority over Jesus, and neither did these people, but only what had been given to him by God and to them by God and to anyone else. We're not, we're not above God. So these people, as we see Jesus' authority, again with his disciples and with the people, they were amazed. They had been amazed with what had just taken place. They desired to make Jesus their king, but this was not the plan, the Father's plan. So Jesus simply dismissed them and they left, probably staying the night in the local area of Bethsaida, just a few miles from where they were. So it was at this point that Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Everyone had left. The, the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee. The crowds, the thousands of people had dispersed and they had gone into town. And he was alone on the mountain praying as he would often do. Jesus would often spend much time in prayer, communing, having fellowship with the Father. The crowds, they dispersed. The disciples on the sea, by the way, making painful headway in a storm. And what was Jesus doing? He was on his face, praying and seeking the Father, spending time with him. That's what he was doing. I believe as you're given more responsibility and more authority in, in, in any way, shape, or form, I believe that that person that has been entrusted with much here on earth should be a person that should be given to prayer that much more, submitting to the authority of the Lord in their lives to be wise and discerning in the truth. As Jesus set this example for his own life, in his own life, as he was here on earth. Can you imagine? I mean, if, if anyone didn't have to spend that time in prayer, it would be Jesus, the Son of God, right? Think about it, right? He's the Son of God. Why would you have to spend any, prayer, any time in prayer? But he did. You see, he desired that fellowship. He desired that communion. Have you ever longed for 
that time with the Lord so much so that it just, you just, oh, you just, you just ached. I just want more of you, Lord. I mean, we can't get more of him. We really can't. He's, he dwells within us and he's with us and, and he is our God and he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. But just that time of just intimacy with him, fellowship. Well, the son of God, that's exactly what he desired. Jesus desired that with the father, that communion. And he exemplified it. And so for us, that should serve as an example for us to take part in and participate here while we are on earth. Just remember that authority is to serve the will of the Father. Any authority given is to serve the will of the Father. Secondly, Jesus sent them into the storm. Think about that. Jesus sent them into the storm. Verse 24 <clears throat> Excuse me. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against him. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Earlier in verse 22, he said, Go. He made them get into the boat. <laughs> Go. Go to the other side before me. I mean, John, uh, the Apostle John tells us in his gospel that the disciples had rowed about three or or four miles into the lake. John 6, 19. That was when Jesus came walking on the sea by them. Just know that they would have never been more than about a mile away from the shore. So this storm had taken them from the northeastern shore of Bethsaida, as they went against this storm, no doubt they were pushed into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Three or four miles, you should have been on the other side. They were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and pushed them down. Uh, In Mark, his account is like this. In Mark chapter 6, verses 47 and 48, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Some things to consider also is that the fourth watch of the night, the first watch is from 6 to 9. That's the first watch. Second watch is from 9 to 12. Third watch, from 12 to 3 o'clock in the morning. And the fourth watch is in between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. What time did the disciples leave to get to the other side? It was, I mean, it was getting into the evening part of the night, right? The day before. So Jesus had to have been praying perhaps upwards of nine hours. Nine hours, because they were in the fourth watch when Jesus came walking on the water. But just notice here also that he saw them making headway painfully. Some things to consider. Uh, Number one, Jesus sent the disciples into the boat and into the storm to get to the other side. Jesus knew about the storm. He sent them into the storm, number one. Number two, Jesus waited until the disciples were far from the shore. And again, they shouldn't have been any farther than about a mile from shore. They were, as John says, three to four miles from shore. 
But Jesus waited until they were far from the shore. They must have drifted south into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus knew this. Jesus waited, praying for hours until they had rowed well into the night. And we know that it was between 3 and 6 a.m. The sun was close to rising when Jesus came walking on the water. Number three. Jesus could see the disciples having a difficult time out on the sea and remained in prayer for hours. He saw they were making painful headway. So the, the questions that we should be asking in our own lives today, to, right now as we're sitting here, like as Jesus sent them, he knew everything, he sent them into the storm, all of that, does that perhaps sound familiar with maybe the things that I've experienced and I'm experiencing now. Because some storms, like I said earlier, and trials come due to our disobedience, like Jonah, right? Jonah experienced a storm because of his own disobedience. But there are still other storms that we are confronted with that we are sent into for reasons that are good for us from God's perspective, The disciples were tired, the day was getting dark, and the thought of rowing to the other side of the sea wasn't really that appealing, especially if Jesus was going to stay behind and not go with them. It seemed inconvenient. They may have concluded that it was maybe at at a certain point, you know, Jesus insisted, commanded them to go, and they may have, well, it's not that far, right? We've done it before. Remember, there's fishermen amongst the disciples. We're very familiar with the Sea of Galilee. We could do it. Let's row. Let's get to the other side. And they got in there. But the moment they casted off the lines to the boat and moved away from the safety of the shore, in obedience to Jesus Christ. Oh, there's a storm. Uh, We're painfully making headway. I mean, uh, he's not with us. Can you imagine? They're, they're, They're rowing, right? They're going. Oh. After, can you imagine after two hours of doing this? Winds, rain, I I mean, the seas are high. A lake can turn into quite the ocean in a short period of time. Have you ever gone to Havasu? No? How many have gone to Havasu or? Okay, a lot of you have. (laughs) There are tempests that come up on Lake Havasu and, and other lakes the winds come up. I remember one time, and I think I've told you guys how it was, that we had a brand new easy up. It was up on the side. It was all calm. It was beautiful, hot. We were just sitting in the water most of the time. And all of a sudden, this wind came and took our beautiful brand new easy up and smashed it on the side of the hill. I was like, we have no more shade, right? And then I remember having the, um, the sea dews, and we had all come in because all of a sudden, the wind came out of nowhere. It was extremely choppy, and we barely made it back into the marina. And, uh, and, then, and then we're like, oh, we have the sea dews on shore. We need to get them like, into the marina and onto um, the trailer and get them out of the water. But how are we going to do it? So it's like two of us. We were really smart. They're like, you guys do it. And we're like, okay. Right? Um, we're going against the wind and we're coming up, we can't see a thing. We're coming up, and all the spray and everything's coming into our eyes. We missed the marina, had to come back, and it was crazy, right? 
I got tired in, it seemed like hours, but it was probably like 10 minutes that it took for us to get into the marina. I could not imagine doing this for six to eight, maybe even nine hours. Man, they must have been just, uh, what do you call it now? Swole, yeah, not yoked. I guess that's like an 80s term, right? They, they were swole, right? Peter was just like, amazing, amazing. But Jesus sent them into that storm. Have you ever felt like the Lord has spoken, you've pushed off from the shore? The shore of safety. Safety. And then, bam! Like, I thought I was being obedient. Maybe I was wrong, right? Maybe I should go back to the safety of that shore. And Jesus said, no. God says, no. I, I told you to go to the other side. There's something in this for you. Just trust me. Just keep going. It's all for your sake. You hit a bad storm and it felt like you'd gone too far to be helped in your situation. You're like, ah, I've gone too far. I, I got I to got, I keep rowing. I got to keep going to the other side. Where are you? I have no idea. It's dark. It's stormy. The mist is like spray is hitting me in the face. I, I, can't, I don't know where I'm going. Well, Jesus knew that they were about three or four miles away from really where they should have been in the middle of the sea. Wouldn't you ask why? Do you ever ask why? The problem is not that we ask why. It's why we ask why. The reason why we ask why. Because oftentimes, uh, we want to pass the buck. We want to cast blame. We ask why not so that we ourselves can know why and how it is that we can grow through this situation and respond accordingly and glorify the Lord and bless Him, but we want to ask why because we want to cast blame on someone. Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was me. I, I want to blame someone for the storm that I'm in. He says, no, I... I sent you into the storm. The problem is not in asking why, but why we ask the why. We should really be asking to find out how it is that the Lord perhaps is growing our faith and trust in Him. Ask why? Is it our response? Our response oftentimes is not a response, it's a reaction. We need to really be conscientious about how it is that we're responding to those things that we face on a regular basis. Is it growing in faith and trust? Oftentimes it is. Is it to shed something that is not of God? Oh yeah, my brethren, count it all joy when, when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That means that you, your trust is growing and maturing and strengthening in the Lord. That's where we find joy in the midst of our storms. Warren Wearsby said, quote, We must never judge our security on the basis of circumstances alone. So true. So, so true. 
At just the right time, the Lord will remind you that he is with you. In this situation, Jesus came walking on the water in the middle of the storm. It hadn't settled at this point, and the disciples were afraid. Well, I would have too. When they saw Jesus coming on the water, they didn't expect to see him there. They may have thought that it was impossible to see Jesus in the midst of that storm. But Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Remember Jesus' authority and that sometimes he sends you into the storms, but he is always, always there. And when you least expect to see him, he will appear to you and he will help you. He says, do not fear, take heart, it's, it's me, I'm here, I'm in the midst of the storm with you. Just as he was with Shadrach, that's right. You guys know the story. That was in the middle of the furnace. Remember Jesus' authority. But he's always there. He sees you and he will come to you. Don't fear. Take courage. Learn to trust him. And trust is what was prompted by Jesus' appearance. At least it's expressed. It was expressed by Peter. Learning to trust Jesus in the midst of the storm is really what this comes to. Verse 28 and Peter answered him, this is his response, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out, got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Again, this was not a lesson for the disciples on how to walk on water. It wasn't, you, you guys want to learn how to walk on water? It's, it's not, this is not the lesson here. Jesus didn't say, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Come to me. Walk on this water in the same way that I am. You can do it. Step out. Show me your faith. He, he, did, not, he did not say that. It is a love and affection for Jesus that Peter was overwhelmed when he realized that it was indeed Jesus who came to meet them in the midst of this storm. That actually should be our response. When we realize Jesus is there in the midst of our storm, really, it, it, it should refocus us. Oh, he's here. It should drive us to desire to draw near to him, closer to him, embrace him, cling to him. That's what it should drive us to. You can say that Peter was overjoyed to see Jesus. Peter could have simply dove into the water. I mean, he knew what water was. He, he, he knew Jesus was walking on the water, but he, he knew, but he didn't do that. Seeing Jesus walking on the water and knowing that Jesus had the power and authority to enable him to walk on water, he asked Jesus for permission to do so and to come to him. He, he, asked, he knew Jesus' authority. Knew he, had the, he, he knew he had the power, and he asked him. Uh, a better way of understanding what Peter said is, Lord, since it is you. It's, it's, not, it's not a testing. If, if it's you, if it's really you, you know, sometimes, again, the motives, our perspective, where we're coming from matters a lot. If it's really you, God, and then we start testing him, 
right? No, that, that wasn't how Peter was coming across to Jesus. S- since it's you, command me to come to you on this water. And Jesus' response was an expression of his love for Peter. Jesus simply answered, come, come. When we desire to draw near to God, he answers always the same way. Bid me to come to you. He would never hold you back from going to him. He simply says, come. James 4.8 says, draw near, to me, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. With that, Peter stepped out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. I know we always give Peter a hard time. You sink. Yeah, but he also walked. He also walked on the water. But the moment Peter took his eyes off Jesus and saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You see, his faith was enough to get him out of the boat and begin to walk on the water, but wasn't enough to get him to Jesus. That, That was it. In the midst of doing something amazing and impossible without God, Peter feared the wind and began to sink. You know, it's like, wow. If you realize what you're going through, what you're doing in your own life, and how it is that the Lord's enabling you, enabling you to do these things, sometimes we do the same thing. This is what happens all too often. We sink ourselves with fear in the midst of advancing in the face of a storm. Against all odds, we're like, wow, this is amazing. We take our eyes off of Jesus and consider the crazy storms that we're enduring more than the Lord and his power and love for us. What happens is we we begin to doubt. We begin to doubt. But even though uh, Peter's faith was not enough to get him to Jesus, it, it was enough to get him to cry out when he sank. As he was sinking, his faith was enough to cry out to Jesus. He didn't cry out for the rest of the guys in the boat. Don't don't cry out. Guys, don't cry out to us, all right? The one who can save you in those times is Jesus and Jesus alone. Peter had enough faith and enough sense to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And Jesus did not delay. He immediately reached out his hand, grabbed Peter. He rebuked him and asked him why he had little faith. He told him, oh, you have little faith. And he says, why did you doubt me, right? But he brought him safely into the boat where the other disciples were. And then the wind ceased. It stopped. That means we're done. That's what We're done. It was a lesson on trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Just remember that personal security and peace with God is not being in a place where there are no problems. Warren Wearsby, that quote, just remember that. It's not being in a place where there are no problems, no, no, no trials, where everything is peaceful and perfect. You know, the Sea of Galilee is like a lake. It's like glass, right? Oh, this must be, this must mean that I'm in the middle of God's will. Everything is perfect. Oh, this is beautiful. Life is so good. That's not the test. That is not the test. Be careful. I see too many people wondering, what's going on here? Right? There's nothing wrong with asking why, but when you realize perhaps it's nothing that I've really done, 
maybe, Lord, it's just, it's just you. You've sent me into this storm. That's fine. You're with me. You're going to get me to the other side. Let's do this. I have complete trust and faith in you. A, a perfect peace is to know the love of God, is knowing that we're in a place of obedience to God's will, even in the midst of storms. The storm may itself be a part of the testing of your faith. You see, faith can be strengthened when we are sent into difficult situations. In fact, that is where our faith is strengthened. Well, we're built up in the midst of resistance, our spiritual muscles gain strength. Seeing God and acknowledging Him to be there in the midst of the storm and trusting He will get us across to the other side, He sent us to. That, that's where we need to keep our eyes fixed, on Him. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Are you remaining steadfast under trial? That's where we need to be. The storm comes. The winds are blowing. The seas are high. But you remain steadfast. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Apparently, Loving him and being obedient and being steadfast in his love is all a part of that expression. Not only did the storm stop as soon as Peter was safely on the boat, but John chapter 6, verse 21 says this, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Wow. It's like this point of surrender. The lesson's over. And immediately, they, they were across. They were between Capernaum and Magdala, right there in that little lush place. They were there. I'm going to read this. There's, there's not much more to this section, but then we're going to close. Verse 34 says, And when they had crossed over, so they were there according to John 6.21, Right? When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. He did that throughout the area. Gennesaret is that region that I keep referring to between Capernaum and Magdala, that whole region right there. And so Jesus went throughout and they would bring people to him, and he would heal them. Through this lesson in faith, just keep in mind that they went from amazement to worship. Because in verse 32, it says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's really what we should come to and remain there, by the way. The Lord will continue to amaze us, but in that, it should only build our faith up, but we should remain in that place of worship, of glorifying the Lord, of honoring Him, of, of Him being preeminent in our lives in every way and in every situation. Because God doesn't desire amazement without belief. Can you imagine? I mean, He could have amazed a lot of people. Uh, well, that... That dove died, that rabbit died, that person died. It doesn't matter. He could have like brought everything back to life. He could just simply have been a, an amazing 
as they would see it, uh, you're an amazing magician. But he's not a magician. He's not there to, he's not here to amaze us. Church isn't here to amaze us. All right, we need to be careful with that too. Church is not here to please you. Church is here that God's people would come and please him. Know that you're coming to participate, not be a spectator. You're coming to participate in worship, in glorifying him, in giving him his place in your life and within the church. That's what church is about. He's not here to amaze everyone. He, he wants us to be go into this place of, I, I simply believe in you. I trust in you. I have faith in you. This genuine worship is what he desires for those who call on him as Lord. In that place, a person will go beyond the feeling and emotion of seeing God move and be amazed and worship him with sincere love for who he is. Obedience comes because of our trust in our love in him. God desires that we would come to that place in our lives where we simply trust him with everything and know that he will bring us safely through storms to that place that he has led us to. He may send, but he also sees and will come to us, save us, and build our faith because he is always faithful. He will never let us down. Just keep in mind what he did with Peter. Lord, save me. He immediately took him by the hand, brought him back to the boat. They immediately were on the other side of the lake. He, he didn't leave him. He, he, he didn't express reproach upon them. He didn't ridicule them. He doesn't do that. He did ask them, why'd you doubt? I'm right here. God reminds us all the time, why, why'd you doubt? I can't be faithless to you. I am faithful. Don't doubt. Don't be of little faith. Express big faith in me. Know that I am always with you and I will get you across to the other side. In fact, the Apostle Peter, and I'll leave you with this. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where Peter was brought to. He had experienced all of that. Can you imagine? He was thinking about all of these things that Jesus was faithful in and through. He saw his death, his burial, his resurrection, taught him for 40 days beyond the three years that he had been with them. And then he realized and penned these words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This was to be written. It is scripture. It is the divine word of God for you and I to glean from and apply in, in, in our lives and through these storms, knowing that God, that God is faithful. And he proved himself faithful in Peter's life and the, the lives of all the disciples and the apostles. And he's still faithful today. To you and me, from amazement, amazement to worship. That's what they did. And that would be a good place for us to find ourselves in and remain. Father, we are thankful for the love that you have demonstrated to us. Lord, not only at any one specific moment in time, 
but Lord, constantly. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is presently going through a storm. Whether they've been sent or it's of their own doing, I pray, Lord, that they would realize that your eyes are on them, that your eyes have never left them, and that you simply desire for them to surrender to you, believe on you, trust in you, have faith in you, and know that you are with them. And Lord, that you will safely get them across whatever it is that they're experiencing. I pray, Father, that we ourselves would would just worship you for who you are. The love that you have for us, Lord, the, the love that you continue to express to us. Father, I pray that our response would be our reasonable service to just serve and worship you. I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that when we are weak, you are strong in and through us. I thank you, Lord, that as we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. That all of these things that we experience, Lord, is all to serve, to bring you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.